Open up your Bibles. We've been walking through what book? All right. Anyone know what chapter we're in? Three, Ephesians chapter three. So open up to Ephesians chapter three. Today we're going to cover a lot, uh, like six verses. So we're cruising. Let me pray first. Lord, reveal to us your word for us this morning. Open up our hearts, open up our eyes to hear from you, Lord Jesus. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Paul writes, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, get this, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How many people have their Bibles open to Ephesians 3? All right, uh, can somebody say, it might be different for some of yours, but when you open your Bible and you read this section, what's the title? What's the heading at the top there? Yeah, so, so they're different because those headings aren't original. They, they were added later. But mine says a prayer for the Ephesians. So this is a prayer from Paul. Paul prays um, for those that are reading or hearing this letter. Paul tells us that he's on his knees before the Father. He's on his knees before the Father. Think of the examples we have. We have some examples in the New Testament of when people kneeled before the Father to pray. Stephen kneeled before the Father as he was stoned to death. Peter kneels when he's at the bedside of, uh, or actually at the deathbed of Dorcas. Jesus kneels as he's in his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Kneeling for prayer, it shows a great emotion, the, the great emotion that Paul has for these that he's praying for. It's an important prayer to the apostle. You know, lately, so many of my friends, my close friends have been suffering. I've just been going through intense trials. And it's extremely difficult when you receive that phone call or you receive that text or that email. And you know it's been completely delivered, saturated in pain. I was on my knees the other night praying upstairs while the family was sleeping downstairs. And I was praying for my friends who were walking through these difficult situations. And I, and I pray for healing. And I pray for miracles. And when I pray, I'm pretty bold in my request to God. If, if I've ever prayed for you, you know that. I'm, I'm not ashamed. I don't hold back. But do you know what I pray for more than anything else when I'm on my knees? I pray that Jesus would be close to those who are hurting. That he'd be close. I pray that the relationship with Jesus would grow stronger. That Jesus would draw nearer to them. And that he would once again reveal his great love that he has for them. Because, you know, circumstances... They come and go. Healings and miracles come and go. I love healings, but just because God healed my back six years ago, which he did, I had two herniated discs. Someone prayed for me and bam, my back was healed. But just because of that, I can't do, I, I, it doesn't mean I can't do something stupid today and hurt my back again. Just because he provides you with an amazing job doesn't mean you can't get fired. Has that ever happened to you before? Life on this earth will always include suffering. Hardship and trouble. Jesus guarantees it. He says, in this world, you are going to have some trouble. So when I pray to God, I pray for healings. I pray for miracles. And they happen all the time. I, I love the miracles that happen in this church. We were just praying in our, in our marriage class. We were praying for healings on Thursday night. And you bet God healed in that class. 
But more than anything, when I pray, I pray for Jesus to come. I pray for the Holy Spirit to be with me, to be with you, to be with anyone else that I'm praying for. Because when your mom dies, or when your wife divorces you, or you get sued in the courts, or you get cancer, whatever trouble you might encounter, here's the thing, more than anything, you're really going to need that love of the Savior. You're going to need that lover of your soul to be close, to be near. You're going to need the love of Jesus. And Paul understands this truth so well. That's what he's praying for. Look at the Paul, look at the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians. He could have prayed for anything. For anything. He could have prayed that they would escape any form of persecution. He could have prayed that they'd be cured of all their illnesses and all their diseases. He could have asked for all of their businesses to prosper and to succeed. But none of that's included in his prayer. He prays instead that they'd be strengthened inwardly by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that the Lord Jesus Christ would settle deep in their hearts. And he prays that Jesus would give them the power to be able to grasp his incomprehensible love. That's his prayer. A little different than the prayers that we pray. But it's spot on. See, Paul knows that beyond anything else, what these early Christians need is to know how much Jesus loves them. The same is true today. Yes, I pray for miracles. Yes, I pray for healings. I pray for blessings. I pray for prosperity. I pray this way all the time. But our most frequent prayer should always be this. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, dwell deeply within me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I love you. Let me know that you love me. It reminds me of a man I knew in Spokane. His name was Jack. He went through a very serious season of chemotherapy for cancer if you've ever had cancer treatments or if you've ever walked with someone who's had cancer treatments you know there are times when you feel like you're at the end of your rope you're at your wits end the pain could not get any worse in fact the pain becomes so unbearable and intense that your mechanisms your defense mechanisms they shut down you do not even have the strength to cry Jack, he was going through this portion of his treatment. He was weak. He was frail. He was a shadow of his former self because of all the weight that he had lost. But I remember when we would talk on the phone, he would talk a lot about Jesus. Oh, man, did he talk about Jesus? And this was a man who really wasn't in the word of God before cancer. Hardly at all. But now it seemed that he had the whole Bible memorized. And when we talked, we talked about Jesus. And when Jack talked about Jesus, he didn't talk about Jesus like most of us do. He didn't. See, when we talk about Jesus, bless you, my beautiful wife. <laughs> when we talk about Jesus, we, we turn him in to a bunch of bumper sticker sayings, right? Catchy one-liners that make good for a poster or a sweet Hallmark card. And we all do this. I do it all the time. I mean, in my preaching, I'm always giving those one-liners. Nothing wrong with it, right? We say things like, with God, all things work together for good. Jesus is the reason for the season. That one rhymes. That's kind of cool. Trust and obey. There's no other way. Um, let go and let God. Right? All these little sayings. Great, great sayings. We should keep on saying them. But when you talk to someone like Jack, who's in the middle of the most intense suffering that a human can withstand, his words seem to go far beyond just a little catchy phrase. I remember that even though his words were still simple, they had a Depth to them. He would say, Pastor Dan, Jesus loves me. 
Pastor Dan, he's with me. I know he's for me. Pastor Dan, I love Jesus so much. He's everything to me. He would say he's everything to me. He said that all the time. And you know what? At that point, Jesus was everything to him. When everything else in your life has left you or abandoned you or lost its meaning and significance due to your circumstances and you're all alone in a hospital bed, barely able to keep it all together, Jesus is everything. Many of you have been there before. I know, I know that. I understand that. But in those times, you have Jesus. You have Jesus. And with Jesus, there's that peace that passes all understanding. With Jesus, there's that peace that flows like a river into your soul. There's that peace that even though you can't open your eyes because of the pain, you can still see Jesus. You can see him, you can feel him, and you know that he loves you. That's what Paul prays for. And the prayer is not changed. The prayer is the same for us today. One day my heart's going to stop beating and I'm going to die. Whether it's a car crash or a heart attack, stroke, Gunshot, flu, pneumonia, I don't know. Or if I die in my sleep, at that moment, my comfort and my hope is that I know Jesus. And I know he loves me. And his love for me is beyond description. And his love goes way beyond my time on this earth. His love goes on forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you. With the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He prays for God to strengthen them with power so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in their hearts. Now this letter, who is it being written to? Christians. Christians. That seems like an odd thing to write to Christians. Doesn't Christ already dwell in our hearts? Yes. Yes. Christ dwells in the heart of every believer. Then why does Paul pray that Christ may dwell in their hearts? To help us understand this is the word dwell. The Greek word katoikeo or katoikeo means to dwell, settle down. By the way, I love Google pronunciation. That really helped me out on that one. To dwell, to settle down. Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would be so at work in our lives that Jesus would settle down. He would dwell in our hearts. That he would be in a position to be able to completely control and strengthen every aspect of our lives. Now, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus takes residence in you. But the question today that each one of us must answer is this. Yes, Jesus is in your heart as a believer, but have you created an environment for him to dwell there? Have you created an environment for him to settle down there? Is Jesus at home in your heart? Or for whatever reason, is Jesus a stranger or an alien to your heart? Does he find within your heart a land that is so foreign to his will and to his word that he doesn't feel at home? Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, These words then are addressed to Christians who have spiritual life, but who are in a very poor and immature condition. There is a sense in which they know the Lord Jesus Christ, but in a deeper sense, they do not know him. They are in a relationship to him, but they are not controlled by him. They are certainly in a position in which they are having dealings with him, but he is not in the center of their lives. He is not dwelling there. He is not settled down there. He has not taken up his abode there. 
That might describe you this morning. That might describe the condition of your heart this morning. Paul, in his prayer, would desire better for you. He would want you to have more than just an intellectual understanding of Jesus. He wants Jesus to be the center of your life, making your heart his home. He wants you to know Jesus, to be surrendered to his will for your life. Paul wants us to be so consumed by the love of Jesus that his love fills our every action and our every thought. Here's a good question for you this morning. Write it down if you're taking notes. Write this down. Are your thoughts and actions controlled by the love of Jesus? Are my thoughts and my actions controlled by the love of Jesus? Lifespring, are we submitted to him? Often our attitudes and our actions, they are so unwelcoming to Jesus. We live as though Christ has no influence and no power in our lives. The final letter to the church in Ephesus that's recorded in the Bible, it actually wasn't written by Paul. It was written by the Lord himself. We find it in Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7. In these verses, we find that the Lord knows the deeds of the believers in Ephesus. He is familiar with their hard work. He sees their perseverance. The Lord knows that they possess the sound theology and that they are intolerant of heresy. He knows that they've been tougher than nails as they've endured hardships for his name. The Lord knows all this and more. Yet in verse four, he gives us a sad commentary on the state of the church in Ephesus. The Lord says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Did the people in Ephesus know the Lord? You bet they did. Yes. Their doctrine was spot on. They knew all the songs. They knew all the creeds. They had all those bumper sticker sayings down. Yet, they didn't know the Lord how he desired to be known. Their relationship with Jesus was meant to be built upon love, but their love for the Lord had begun to wane. The Revised Standard Version says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. New Living Translation, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Their love for the Lord had faded. Their passion had died down. Their willingness to lay it all down for the one who laid down his life for them had grown cold. Anyone in that place this morning? Does that describe where you're at? I asked myself that question this week. Has my love for Jesus grown cold? That's a good question to ask. Because I can well remember a time when I was willing to do anything for him. I was willing to go anywhere for him. I was unashamed of the gospel. In college, I, I broke the passenger side seat of my Ford Tempo with red interior, by the way. But I broke the passenger side from just lugging this keyboard, this clunky, large keyboard from rehearsal to rehearsal to play at coffee shops, to play at church services four or five times a week. Every Friday night, I would set up and tear down this huge sound system in the University of Wyoming Student Center for our weekly InterVarsity Campus Fellowship meeting, often not getting everything put away and back to my house until extremely late into the night. I would ride in the van on Saturday nights from midnight to 3 a.m. It was a van that gave rides to drunk students so that they wouldn't be on the roads and be on the streets driving drunk. And I would just sit in that van and talk to intoxicated kids. But after I graduated from college, I lived in a basement of an air conditioning company in Spokane for a year, living on $150 a month wages as I interned at a church so that I could learn how to be the best worship leader and best pastor that I could be. I would lead four worship services every Sunday and I'd lead two more during the week. 
Do you know why I did those things? I did them because the love of Jesus was unlike anything I had ever experienced in my life. And I wanted to share it with others. I wanted others to experience his incomprehensible love as well. But what about today? What about today? Has my love grown cold? Has the word of God become just another book? Am I still unashamed of the gospel? Am I still willing to go to those people that nobody else will go to? Share the love with the unlovable. Or have I lost sight of his boundless love? Have I become more focused on the running and the organization of a church on systems, structures and policies instead of focusing on his amazing love for me and for others? These are the questions that the Lord has placed on my heart this past week. The Lord wrote that heartbreaking letter to the people in Ephesus in the book of Revelation to let them know that their love for him had grown cold. The Lord has put these questions before me this past week to open my eyes to the reality that the same thing can happen to me and it can happen to you where our passionate love affair with Jesus can turn into cold, stale religion. And this happens when we lose sight of his incomprehensible love for us. It's not my love that's the catalyst. It's his. We must refocus. We must put our attention back on the love of Jesus. The more we focus on his love, the more our love for him and our love for others is going to be fueled. We must passionately pursue a deeper understanding of his love because as we do, change and transformation begins to happen. The more we understand his love, the more his love will embody all of our thoughts and all of our actions. That's what the Apostle Paul desires for each one of us. He wants all believers He says to be able to grasp this incomprehensible love of Jesus, because Paul knows it's the only way for any of us to be able to live this life. How God has called us to live it. His love must be the source of everything we say, of everything that we do. It has to be the motivating factor that drives us and keeps us on his path for our lives. We desperately need the Lord to continuously reveal his love to us apart from the manifestation of his love in our lives. We're going to grow cold. We're going to grow stale. We will. Even though we may think we're doing just fine. I mean, have you ever met a Christian or visited a church that thought they were doing just fine, yet you knew their love had grown stale? Anybody? You bet. Let me give you an example of this. It's a warning from the lives of some of Jesus' followers. It's Revelation chapter 3. Remember this letter. It was written to a church. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, Blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, (laughs) I come in and I eat with him and he with me. It's a pretty harsh words from the Lord. He's offering a strong critique. Why? Because he loved the believers in Laodicea. 
He loved them. And they thought they were doing just fine, but they were wrong. They thought because they were living in these fine homes, surrounded by luxury, lacking absolutely nothing, that, wow, we're, we just must be blessed, right? We must be highly favored by God. But God's assessment was a little different. Put up verse 17 again. It says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. <laughs> but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Some of us need a wake up call on our assessment of ourselves. Because our assessment of ourselves does not line up. With the Lord's assessment. And it can happen so subtly and slowly. But we, get, we can just begin to creep away from God, right? Just slowly living for the things of this world instead of living for Jesus. We all know somebody who, when they were on fire for God, when, when they had given up everything, right? Remember that person back in the day? They were just crazy for Jesus. They had given up everything, including their wealth, fame, position. They were in reckless abandon for Jesus. Yet now... Their walk, it's not hot, it's not cold, it just kind of exists. I know so many Christians like this, where there was a day, remember that day, remember back when, when they did that one thing for God? Remember that one day when they did that crazy thing for Jesus? But now, they just kind of exist. They go to church, they attend Bible study, but the life and the excitement of being a follower of Jesus, it is long gone. And all that's left is stale religion. How does this happen? How do we find ourselves forsaking our first love, becoming wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? Slow change. It's a metamorphosis that begins the moment that we lose sight, that we lose sight of the incomprehensible love of Christ. So Paul is stressing and he says above all else, he wants us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Would you read with me Ephesians 3 verses 17 through 19? Together with me. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He prays that we being rooted and established in love, would have the power to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. I hope we get it. This life is all about the love of Christ. It's, it's about the love of Christ much more than we will ever understand. We try to make Christianity much more into an intellectual thing, but much, we, we turn it into something that's much more intellectual than it was ever meant to be. It's a love relationship with God. Guys, get over it. It's a love relationship with the God of the universe. This God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, His Holy Word, His plan of redemption, His eternal dwelling that He's prepared for us. They are all about the love of God. You and I are in the midst of the greatest love story of all time. As someone who once was a self-professed professional dater, I've, I've watched my fair share of love stories on the big screen. I mean, if you're a guy here who's ever been on a date, ever had a girlfriend, you know you end up watching a lot of chick flicks. And that's okay. I actually don't mind them as long as they're not completely filled with inappropriate, you know, things like a bunch of sex or raunchy language, which sadly most of them are. But in these types 
of movies, after all is said and done, I don't care what kind of movie it, it is, if it's a drama or a comedy, usually the woman ends up in the arms of the man of her dreams, maybe even McDreamy himself. And she declares that she gets lost in his eyes. You complete me. I've never known a love like this before. And all the girls in the audience go, oh. <laughs> and all the men go, oh. <laughs> but I hope we understand that as followers of Christ, that the kind of love that a romantic movie describes, it pales in comparison to the incomprehensible love of Christ. I mean, they aren't even on the same playing field. His love is wider. His love is longer. His love is higher. His love is deeper than we could ever imagine. Paul just said that God's love surpasses knowledge. That means it is infinitely greater than we could ever, ever imagine. And God's love is expressed in the midst of life's circumstances, right? God's love is expressed in our sorrows, in our pains. God's love is expressed in our joy, but also in our trial and our sufferings. God's love is expressed in too many ways for our minds to fully fathom or for our language to express, right? We run out of words to describe the love of God. So then how do we begin to understand it? Paul just said that he wants us to know this love. Is there a book that we can order on Amazon? Is there a sermon out there that we can read to help us understand? Well, sure, there's a lot of resources out there. You and I can read to help us better understand his amazing love. But all the books and all the sermons ever written about the love of God wouldn't adequately describe his indescribable love. It is beyond description. In fact, the story is told of the great thinker Augustine, who was born way back in the day, uh, 354 A.D. <laughs> Augustine, he was trying to understand the Trinity. Good luck, Augustine. <laughs> it was a mystery that no matter how hard he thought about the subject, he just couldn't get his mind around it. One day he was walking on the beach and he was thinking about the Trinity. He's saying to himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. As he was walking, he came to a young boy with a seashell. The boy was running back and forth between the ocean and a little pool on the beach. The boy, he would fill the seashell with water and he'd run to the pool and he'd pour the water into the pool. He'd do it again and again. And Augustine would say, what are you doing? And the boy said, I'm emptying the ocean into this pool. Augustine was humored by the efforts of the little boy. And he said, son, you can't do that. And as the story goes, the boy, who was really an angel, turned to Augustine and said, I will sooner empty the ocean into this pool then you will manage to get the mystery of the most holy trinity into your head. And I'd say this, the boy will empty the ocean and Augustine will comprehend the mystery of the trinity before any of us will ever fully comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ. How do you describe the indescribable? How do you comprehend the incomprehensible? Bullet points and eloquent speech, they're going to come up short every time. Real world examples of his love are good. They can give us a glimpse of his love. But all of the examples of all the people who have ever experienced his love will still fall short of adequately describing it. Take my marriage for Mary, for instance. She's in the back. I love her to death. I could list all the many ways I've experienced Mary's love toward me during the years that we've been together. I could fill page after page after page with all the details. I can remember specific stories from back when we first started dating. And I can give you specific examples from this week. 
Yet all those stories, they fail to truly capture the amazing love that Mary has for me and that she has shown to me. Her love for me is incredible, and I'm so very thankful for her love. But you know, as much as I cherish the love of my wife, her love for me is like a kiddie pool of love compared to the ocean of the Savior's love for me. But yet still, Paul wants us to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. Come on, Paul. Really? Yes. How can we begin to grasp his glorious, incomprehensible love if books and sermons won't suffice? What's the deal, Paul? What do we need to do? The answer is quite simple. We must make known him. And make knowing his love our highest aim and our highest priority and our highest goal in our life. We must pray for him to give us spiritual eyes. Spiritual eyes capable of seeing his amazing love that he is demonstrating all around us and before us each and every day. We must seek him as a deer pants for water. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. Listen up. It's really good. He says, brothers and sisters, it will be to small profit. That we shall talk to you about the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of Christ. Unless there is in your soul a devout longing ambition to set the Lord Jesus always before you as the frequent, if not constant, subject of your meditation. No progress to any extent is to be made in the school of the cross unless you separate yourself and give yourself wholly to this. It must be the one great business of your life to know him and the power of his resurrection. But to do this, the heart must be full of Jesus. It must be welling up with his love, flaming with it, overrunning with it. And therefore, the apostle prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Observe the words that he may dwell. Not that he may call upon you sometimes as a casual visitor enters into a house and tarries for a night, but that he may dwell. That Christ may take up his abode in your hearts. That the Lord Jesus may become the Lord and tenant of your inmost being. Never more to go out, but to dwell there world without end. Observe too the words that he may dwell in your hearts. In your hearts. That best room of the house of mankind. Not in your thoughts alone, but in your affections. Not merely to have him in your mind's meditations, but in your heart's emotions. That is so beautifully written. It is impossible to fully comprehend the love of Jesus. But for those of us who set our sights on diving deep into the love of the Savior, we will experience a communion and a fellowship of his inexhaustible love that's going to transform every aspect of our being. We will see with new eyes. We're going to hear with new ears. We will walk with a security that only comes from walking with the one who is defined as love. It's this love that motivated Paul in Romans 8, 38. For I am convinced, he writes, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor any Anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Lately, I mean, we have talked about the spiritual blessings found in Christ so much over the past weeks, past months. And it's it's been really, really good for me. I think it's been good for our church to remember who we are in Christ. But I hope we remember that all of these blessings are found in his love for us. Do you get that? They're found in his love for us. So if it's freedom, I'm free in his love. I'm redeemed in his love. 
I'm forgiven in his love. I'm justified in his love. I'm righteous in his love. I have purpose in his love. I have provision and shelter in his love. My past is overcome in his love. My present makes sense in his love. And my future is absolutely certain in his love. And listen up. You cannot know the fullness of the Savior's love by standing on the outside looking in. You can't. You can't come to know the love of the Savior by listening and observing other people's lives and testimonies. You got to get off the fence. You got to get off the fence. Stop tiptoeing between the world and Jesus, the world, the Jesus. You got to dive in. You got to dive in. Fully swim in the ocean of his love and allow his love to just wash over you in ways that are beyond what you could ever, ever begin to imagine. Cry out to him this morning. Find yourself once again in awe and amazement of his love this morning because I want you to know that God loves you very much. I wish I could go around to each one of you this morning, put my hand on your shoulder and remind you how much God loves you. Many of you need that reminder today. I pray that you would be deeply touched by the Holy Spirit this morning, that you would allow yourself once again to trust him, to lean on him, depend on him, fall in love with him again. I know it's scary, but he's a good God and he loves you very much. Right now, welcome him once again to dwell. It's a heart thing. It is. It's a heart thing. Welcome him in your heart once again to dwell, to settle down, to make your heart his home again. Stop fighting. Stop waging war. Stop avoiding him. Stop living like God is against you. He's for you. And there's a better way. And please, please stop acting like everything is okay. For some of you this morning, it's definitely not okay. The way you've been trying to walk out this Christian life, it's not okay. I mean, God's grace is big enough for it. But between you and me, it's not okay. It's so far short of the life that God has called you to live. You've wandered away. You've grown cold and stale and you've turned faith it's only just that intellectual endeavor. I've done that. Afraid to open up your heart to him. Afraid to open up your emotions to him. But open up to him this morning. It's safe in the Father's arms. You can trust him. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. You want to see emotion? Look at the cross. Look at the passion of the cross. Look at the emotion. Look at the love on the cross. And do you know that love has a name? It has a name. The name is Jesus Christ. First John 4, 9 says it this way. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about the love of our God that he has for his creation. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Charles Hodge, he's quoted as saying that God should love the good, that God should love the righteous, the pure and the godly. We can understand that. But that the infinitely holy should love the unholy, should love us and give his son for their redemption. That is the wonder of all wonders. That is the wonder of all wonders. This is love, not that God not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. First John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Undeserved, unmerited, but by his great love for us, what does it say? That is what 
we are. This morning, the Holy Spirit wants to remind us of God's love for us. Jesus desires to dwell in you, to richly dwell in you, to be at home in you, and to give you the power, the power to know his love that surpasses knowledge. Before the worship team comes up, I just want to sing a couple of songs over you, with you, whatever you might need this morning. Because I just like to create an environment just for you to be able to welcome Jesus again into your heart. Take time before the Lord. (laughs) He wants to feel welcome. He wants to settle down and to dwell deep in your heart. So as I sing these songs, I just pray you do what you need to do before the Lord.
other voice. Amazing love. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love. Amazing love. I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you in all I do. In all I do, I honor you. Right now, with all our heads bowed, if you've never experienced the love of Jesus, if you've never accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, Today is the day. Do not wait another day. Would you just raise your hand so that I can see your hand and we could just welcome you and celebrate you into the kingdom of God. This could surely be the day. In fact, I wouldn't want you to wait another day because it's the best decision you could ever make in your life. There is no better decision. It's better than deciding whether to have pizza or top ramen for lunch. It's better than deciding who you're going to marry to be your wife. It's the best decision you could ever, ever make in your life. God and his love has been pursuing you know that. I don't have to even explain that to you. I don't even have to lay it out before you know in your heart that God has been pursuing you with his amazing love. And so if that's you this morning, if the love of God has gripped you and you know that you need to turn from your ways, you need to repent of your ways, you need to turn to God, I would encourage you to make that decision today because God, when he sees you, he rejoices. His angels rejoice. He dances, he sings, and he runs to you. He puts you in his arms. He loves you so much. And if that's you this morning, just raise your hand before the Lord. Raise your hand before the rest of us. God loves you. He loves you. I don't know what you did on Friday night. What you said to that person on Wednesday morning. But God's grace covers it all. And you're still kicking yourself and beating yourself up about it. But God's not here to say that to you. He's here to say, I love you and I want you to be in a deeper relationship with me. You realize that? The conviction of the Holy Spirit isn't to condemn you and to make you walk around with your head bowed low. The Holy Spirit is around to, to bring us into better things. The Holy Spirit is around to say, what are you doing? You don't need to do that. God has something better for you. you. You can stop doing whatever that is because God loves you. God's wild about you. God sent his son for you. And he's got a plan for you that is so much better and so much greater than you could ever imagine. So, so just stop. That's what the Holy Spirit's all about. He's pointing you continually to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus. And when you see Jesus, guess what you get to see? You get to see love. Because God is love. It's, it's an amazing, beautiful story. An amazing, beautiful picture. So this morning, Christian, I tell you, find your embrace in his love. Let go of the bitterness. Let go of the anger. Let go of the rage. Let go of the hurt, the pain. I get it. People have done terrible things to you. I would never discount that. But that's not God. Don't put that on God. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Amen.